This is Rugger Matrix, episode 145, Super Close. Yes, hello and welcome to our video show. You're hearing it first though on the audio stream, episode 145 of Rugger Matrix International. I'm your host, Juro Sin, joined shortly by Mark Cashman, missing last week, but he's back this week. First to Nick Styles, the Western Force assistant coach, the former Wallaby 2, talking all things Super Rugby. Then we head north to talk everything, Heineken Cup, Amblin Cup, and Top 14, you name it, with Morgan Turanui. Rugger Matrix, brought to you by Strike. Australia's largest supplier of hands-free Bluetooth car kits, mobile phone car cradles, and reversing cameras. Check them out at strike.com.au. This is Rugger Matrix. And hello and welcome to episode 145 of Rugger Matrix International, our second video program, and hopefully it's all working smoothly for us tonight. Special guest coming up shortly, one here in Australia and another one in Paris, hopefully later on this evening. So without further ado, let's uh, bring in my co-host, my partner in crime, and that is Mark Kabanabar, Pinky Cash Cow Cashman. And you've turned the motion eye off. You look at a, a picture there at uh, French's Forest, mate. Yes, a bit frightening at time, the motion eye for uh, for the uh, listeners mm. or the or the viewers out there, I should say. But mate, good to be on board. A uh, bit of a glitch last week in show one four four, but uh, mate, I believe it tried to get to the heights of it, the uh, the normal show, but with me not there, <laughs> just not. Casho, Casho, I went solo and uh, had some big hitters. Uh, Adam Fryer on, of course, and Les Kiss. And, uh, well, you were missed because who else could we put crap on? But uh, let's try and do it to this guy. He might bash us if we have a go at him. There he is, top of the screen, Nick Stiles, assistant coach of the Western Force. G'day, Nick. Welcome to the show. No, great to be back, boys. Uh, looking forward to having a good chat. Well, it's been an interesting season, hasn't it? And you had a great win. Uh, away from home against the Waratahs only a couple of weeks ago, then another heartbreaking loss against the Rebels at the weekend. You you can do that, can't you? And uh, as a coach, you've still got a fair bit of hair there, Stilesy, but uh, um, what a start to the season. Uh, Do you think you guys were, um, uh, I guess, were you at all living uh, in the past at all with that victory against the Waratahs? You'd be too professional for that. No, definitely not. I think, uh, you know, you, you only have to look at uh, the history of the force. There's been a lot of close uh, close wins and losses. And then and then if you look at how the competition's been going this year, I think out of the 30, 30-odd games that have uh, been played so far, it's been 26, 27 games have been decided by less than seven points. So, so just the way the competition is, uh, most games are coming down to the last few minutes. And unfortunately, we've been on the wrong side of a couple those. Stalsy, uh, number 10 has been a continuing issue over there. Uh, you, you've tried a few, uh, a few have left the club and a new one on the way this week with uh, young Sam Lane, the son of uh, Tim Lane, the former Wallaby coach. Uh, they're heading over to uh, sort out, try and sort things out with the, uh, for the Reds. Yeah, and I think um, you know it's been a been a funny old season for for a lot of the teams with with injuries. There's been been a large amount of injuries and a large amount of serious injuries as well. And and um, you know we see the Reds who are you know fantastic side won the championship last year. But once you take out uh, Quade Cooper and then injuries to Mike Harris and, and Ben Lucas, just the stress that it does put on your side. Well, Nick, uh, the thing about the start of the competition, it's been really enthralling and, uh, you know, there's no real standout team so far, isn't it? And uh, I know that uh, if you look at the table, and I've got it to the side here, I'll have a look at it and see that the Storms are on top, the Chiefs, Brumbies, Bulls, uh, Highlanders, Hurricanes, Crusaders, Reds, Waratahs, Sharks, Lions, Rebels, Cheetahs, Force and, and Blues. But, you know... Um, in, in a week or two, those positions could change quite easily, couldn't they? And it just shows with the, the narrow margins we've seen, except for the Reds of the weekend, but we won't talk about with that with our good friend, the link you're playing this weekend. Given all those tight results, Nick, it's a, it's a pretty tight season. One of the tightest I can remember, actually. 
Yeah, definitely. That's why um, I know the, the 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 players at the force and the coaching staff were so disappointed about the loss on on the weekend to the Rebels. We felt that with that uh, the good win against the Tars, if we could have backed that up with another win against the Rebels away from home, and and then coming back and picking up the Reds, who you know who are under the pump at the moment too. We felt we could have got some good good momentum. Then with three or four home games following this Reds game, we, we would have been in a good position. Kesha, you just sitting there? <laughs> he's gone, Nick. I was cash, cutting, I the, cu- cutting the Mark Cashman and he decided to, okay. to drop out. But that's all right. Uh, we'll continue. Now, the interesting thing uh, I thought at the weekend was um, Danny Cipriani. Did he have that big an impact on the game? Because as soon as he went off, you came storming back into the match. And is he, uh, is he a player that when you do your uh, analysis of the opposition that you uh, take serious note of? Oh, definitely, Danny. Uh, Danny is a very attacking mindset uh, of a football player, and you know uh, any any of the good teams these days have got good tens, and you have to be very aware of how they play the game and 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 look to shut them down. You know, he he obviously had a good influence in that first 20 minutes, but I think as much as he had an influence in that game, I think how we we defended uh, from that fifth minute onwards through to the 20th minute we were very poor and and made some catastrophic catastrophic uh misses in defense that were totally against our uh, our structures so that that was probably as much to blame as what what his attacking mindset is yeah definitely uh casho i know you're back but you just need to turn your video on before i can cross back to you but in the meantime nick uh I looked at um, a couple of the round, the matches out of the weekend, and I thought, uh, you know, the, the whole spectre, the whole drama over travel really doesn't seem the same as it used to be. And I want to go back to that game a couple of weeks ago. The Rebels played before you played them against the Force, uh, sorry, against the um, Cheaters. Uh, boy, boy, that was just an end to end game, flat out. Uh, Asides like that, uh, no longer the easy beats that you think they're going to be. No, definitely not. Uh, you know, you could have uh, years gone by. You'd bank on a, you know, a few games against the cheaters and lions. Uh, definitely at home that were, uh, you know, you'd mark them off as wins. But you know, with the development uh, of South African rugby over the years, I think they've really embraced professionalism, and, and their player depth is so strong. You know, they have such a good Curry Cup competition. Their their Vodafone Vodafone Cup. The the level of rugby they play at varsity level and their schoolboy system is just now really churning out uh, depth of squads. And, you know, we talk about the Australian sides getting in trouble after a few injuries at, at 10. Well, you know, they seem to have such great depth. They can they can rattle out four or five different uh, players to each position and, and still be so competitive. isn't it? Because, uh, you know, the Storms are very good uh, this year. The Bulls obviously showed against the Reds how good they are. And, and uh, they reckon when the Sharks go home after games, most of them hit up the Bonfantine by, by the sound of things. So it's, uh, it's, it's a real, uh, real hotbed of uh, rugby talent over there. But uh, what, 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 what do you say to those, uh, those people that say that uh, as far as the force are concerned, uh, that... Uh, there's not much happening in your back line at the moment. Well, geez, you're a, you're a hard-cutting journalist there, Casho, mate. Uh, you don't have to be too smart, mate. Uh, you know, we, we've been a bit disappointed with how, how, we've, how we've attacked uh, through the backs. Um, you know, we, we ha- did have some disruption leading into the season, but, but in saying that, we... We would have hoped we would have, you know, attacked it with a bit more purpose at, at times and just understanding when to attack. I think that's been our biggest problem. So it's, you know, that's something we've been working on hard at training and probably haven't been seeing the transfer through to games that we'd like at the moment. You know, we, we take steps forward, you know, like we played a lot better against that Waratah, you know, against the Waratahs and we felt our selection of players from the backs was, was much better. And then we go and play the Rebels and, 
and were probably a bit disappointed with a few of the things that we were we were playing uh, through those backs there. So it's something that we we are trying to fix it, and once we do, I'm sure we'll, we'll start to win a lot more games. Yeah, because Nick, there, there is the talent there to uh, certainly make a mark there. You know, Winston Stanley, uh, Rory Sidey's uh, uh, got a role to play, and uh, Chucky Stannard. Uh, uh, is 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 a real uh, a guy who can uh, get the job done from time to time. Yeah, no, that definitely, definitely they are. All those players, um, you know, Chucky Stannard's been someone in the past who's played nine and ten, and this year we uh, went through the preseason knowing that he he would be one of our guys contending for that ten position, and he he's such an instinctive player. Like he's played, a, he's got a very strong sevens background in him, and and um, he loves that broken broken field style of football and I think uh, he, he's, he's been putting a lot of work into just understanding how to drive a team around and how to control a team because that's something that you know you need you need to be more of an instinctive player with and um, you know he, he's definitely working hard with the coaching staff and all the players at improving in that area. Nick we spoke a couple of weeks ago to Les Kiss about uh, leadership and uh enacting the game plan like there are two different things aren't there there's the ability to play at the game plan like Queensland has Quade Cooper when he's playing that is uh, able to uh, enact the game plan to to make sure that the team plays what they want to do on the uh, team sheets and in the playbook however you've also got the captain who um, runs the show overall and makes the final call with the big decisions now, with the force at the moment, you've got obviously a great leader in uh, David Pocock and uh, everyone wants to follow him in the battle. How has he, over the last few weeks, in your estimation, because given that we spoke pre-season about his leadership of the side, how has he now moved on since we made that initial call, that uh, investigation with you about him taking over the leadership full-time? Yeah, no, Poe's really, he, he's growing uh, as a leader from week to week. I think, um, you know, his, his performance on, on field has, has been at its highest level. I think he's playing as good a football as he's ever played. And, and, and with that, that's, you know, obviously a big part of his leadership style is to, to lead by example. I think what is starting to grow for him now is is how he's conducting himself in, in team meetings and, and, and what he's demanding uh, and what his expectations are on the playing squad, you know, as a group, and I think he's really starting to to get across his uh, his beliefs and what he wants from us as a group going forward. So, does he run the? Is he running the game plan, or is he a five eight running it? How does it work? No, no, like the five. No, once we get into to the attacking, uh, you know, parts of the of a football game, that you know, we're, our five eights. Uh, are running our, our our game plan, our you know inside backs, they're the ones that are choosing choosing what to play. I think uh, I think for us, our problems aren't the patterns of play that that's letting us down. It's just the once we get into phase attack that uh, we're failing to recognise when when we've got overlaps. Uh, we've been failing to understand what what. Uh, phase phase options to play, and um, so that's a little bit different to to choosing your uh, what attacking structures we want because mm. we go into a game with with a very clear uh, tactical. Uh, game, and I think that's something that we, as a group, you know, coaching staff and, and our and our our key players, uh, that that we, you know, we do a lot of work on on our game. Is what uh, you're game sa- plan? Yeah. 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 So game game plan aside, is what you're talking about there? What's play you're playing in? You know, the I hate to say, but the cliche has become, uh, uh, I guess, uh, absolutely saturated around the game at the moment. Playing in front of you, is that what you're talking about? And if that's the case, um, how do you fix that as a coach? Yeah, no, de- definitely we're talking a bit, bit, bit more about game sense and game probably awareness as well. I think probably what we're lacking, you know, is, is some communication through that midfield. Uh, if we can communicate 
uh, a lot more. It takes your pressure off off a Chucky Stanard, who you know it doesn't come naturally to him. So it's it's a it's a problem that we're trying to address. You know, not as individuals, but as a group. And uh, and Bronco, I can tell you, uh, if you if you've got a few a few suggestions on <laughs> on transfer from training to games, we'd love to hear it because we've been we've been trying you know multitude of, of things in, to to improve to improve that transfer from training to games. We all know that. Uh, Michael Foley uh, scored 50 tries at the captain's run for his Wallaby training career. Training tries, that yeah, is. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. yeah, training tries. So <laughs> if he did that in the game, we'd have one of the greatest players of all time. But, yeah, no, it is it is a, is a frustrating thing, isn't it, Casho? Oh, yeah, sure is. But, uh, Stasi, how, how, how are you sort of feeling about the Reds this week? Do you, do you see them harder coming off a, an absolute uh, shellacking that they got uh, up at Loftus-Versfield last week or, uh, or, or or do you think they'll be uh, easier this week uh, to play against? Well, then, no, no, the Reds aren't going to be any easier than what they would have been the week before. Um, sometimes you, you get smashed like they did uh, over there in South Africa by the Bulls and, you know, the automatic reaction from a proud team like them, you know, the, they won the championship last year for a reason. I think they'll show a lot of character and, and bounce back this weekend. Hopefully they won't bounce back too well and we won't let them bounce back well. But, uh, you know, they'll, they'll definitely show show a lot of fight. Um, you know, I think it's a good time to get the Reds. You know, they're they're, they're very bashed up in the in the back line. Like, who knows who they'll have in the back line? Big Radiki Samo could be out there somewhere <laughs> starting, uh, um, which for a 37-year-old wouldn't be too bad. Um, so, you know, I think it's a good it's a good time to get the get the Reds, and and uh, hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll, we're disappointed from our loss on the weekend, and, and we'll get a good response out of our guys as well. Well, the Reds, uh, obviously through the travel arrangements, are back with you guys as I um, see Casho drop out, uh, Stilesy. They're back with you guys in Perth at the moment, practicing, getting ready to play. Have you had a coffee with the big link, Ewan McKenzie, or is he a bit, mm, is he a bit angry this week? <laughs> I can't imagine Link would be too great to catch up with uh, after a 60-point loss. I think he's can be hard enough at times after a 60-point win. But uh, they they only flew into Perth yesterday. They got in late yesterday. They're staying down at Frio. We've hopefully put them up in a, a beautiful spot down there. The weather's fantastic <laughs> over here at the moment. And and uh, I read on Twitter I think that he was strolling the streets of Frio last night trying to stay awake. So that's a, probably a bit scary down that way past uh, mm. dark time. <laughs> I'm surprised he wasn't arrested, actually, walking <laughs> around. But I don't think they had a pad- well. I was going to say we didn't have a paddy wagon big enough. But uh, he's a very okay, small man these days. The link. Uh, he's looking good, Link. Yeah, uh, no. So yeah. maybe later in the week we'll uh, also know there, uh, Matty Taylor, the defence coach. I played a bit of football with yeah. him. Yeah, in club clubland in Brisbane. So maybe later in the week we'll catch up. Can you tell me how a team can uh, fall the bits in defence like the Reds did at the end? Uh, what, what happens in the brain? What happens late in the game, Nick, when you know you, completely the structure falls apart and you know hope of, the Bulls are on fire, but you know hope of stopping them, especially with some of those arm grabs that we saw at the weekend. Yeah, you know, you look at that scoreline through the game and you just track the tries and when they were scored and, and just that avalanche in that second half. But I think that came from the, the pressure that the Bulls came at the Reds from the start. Like, uh, it was a, it was a close game to half time, And that's testament to the, to the Reds, because I tell you what, what the Bulls were throwing at them from the kickoff was, was nothing, you know, but amazing. They were, the Bulls were so aggressive and so athletic with their ball runners and their carries that, um, it was just a matter, going to be a matter of, of time really before those floodgates open in that game uh, and then as you said once once the Reds started you know the defensive structures falling apart and, and starting to arm tackle that's when uh, it, was, it was big trouble and you know I think the Reds have really made defence a trademark of their side over the last few years and, and I haven't seen a side do that to the Reds um, throughout an 80 minutes performance for a long time Stolze, a lot of uh, positive feedback about afternoon footy here on the east coast. Probably, probably with uh, your weather over in Perth at the moment, it's been uh, it's been pretty bloody hot. Probably not uh, not the place for afternoon uh, footy over there. But uh, your thoughts generally about playing at three thirty and um, 
you know, on the cans by seven. Yeah, <laughs> on the cans would be good uh, celebrating a win, wouldn't it? But no, I think it's fantastic. We uh, over here, we've got some earlier kickoff times and we've got an afternoon game coming up as well. Uh, not too far away. I think it's great. It's great for the fans. Uh, it's great for the families to come out. You know, some of the games we have over here in Perth kick off so late, you don't get out of there till uh, midnight. And that's just, uh, you know, it's so late if you want to take the, the family along. So I think uh, it's good for supporters. It's good for players. It's nothing like waking up and playing an early game and you just get straight into your routine. You get out there and you're playing in, in sunny conditions in a dry dry feel before before the humidity and, and uh, dew or dew comes in and makes the ball a bit slippery. Nick, uh, we spoke earlier about how close the season is, but I just want to go through the scores for, from last week because it makes really interesting reading. I mean, the first game, Blues-Hurricanes, it was 25-26. It was then 30-29, your game. Uh, Waratahs, 34-30 to the Sharks. Saders, 28-21, Cheetahs. Brumbies, 33-26. And I want to ask you about the Brumbies in a moment over the Highlanders. Uh, and the Lions, 19, defeated by the Stormers, 24. The only anomaly there with a weakened Reds lineup was the Bulls thrashing uh, the Reds, 61-8. That's an amazing uh, round of scores, don't you think? Yeah, no, it is. And it's it's been – it's not a one-off. You know, we've played five rounds uh, so far, and I think you'll find – Outside of probably two games, uh, two or three games that have been, you know, blowouts like the Reds and the Hurricanes beat us by a few, that uh, they've all been so close. And, and a lot of the games have come down for the last few minutes, uh, tries even after the 80th, 80th minute. So it, uh, I think it shows probably how, how the game's being refereed a little bit at the moment. Uh, I think sides uh, are being penalised a bit more heavily in the attacking situation than what they have in the past. So so we're seeing a little bit more kicking than what we have in the past and, and teams are playing more field position because, you know, if you're trying to play out of your own 22 or your own 40 and, and uh, you're getting penalised in attack teams, you know, with such good goal kickers these days, just get three points straight away. So I think there's been a little bit more conservatism come into the game a bit. Mm, I was wondering when you were going to... <laughs> Get that off your chest there, Stilesy. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we want to encourage attacking rugby, you know, and that was one of the, the, the great things over the last couple of years where our game had got to. But I just, to me, I just feel at the moment that, you know, while teams are, are being more penalised at the breakdown, especially in attack, that uh, they're a bit more reluctant to to uh, to play with it in your own in your own territory, and, you, and it's a result. I, I haven't. We had a look at the stats after the first couple of rounds, and you know, I think in the first two rounds, um, there'd been about 50 tries scored this year, and it was the same last year in the first two rounds. But the big difference was in the first two rounds last year, there'd been only approximately 70 odd uh, penalty goals, where this year there'd been 109 or 112 penalty goals. So it was just a massive difference uh, statistically on how the game was being played. Are we getting the refereeing right? Are we are we getting what uh, what we want out out of the referees? Uh, I, I I'm I'm not so sure myself. I think uh, I think some some of that uh, some of the penalties that uh, that are being given for. Uh, you know, uh, coming in through the through the uh, you know not through the gate and uh, you know uh, falling over and all that sort of stuff uh, uh, probably a wee bit unnecessary at times. I think uh, maybe they should be managed a bit better. Um, scrums uh, scrums always a bit of a lottery, but uh, are you guys happy with with what you're getting at the moment? Oh, listen, I think uh, it's something that Lyndon Bray is working very hard on, trying to get consistency. And, and it's a funny competition, isn't it? You've got referees from South Africa, New Zealand, Australia, and, and um, you know, so you do get different interpretations. It's something that, that Sanza has tried to do through Lyndon Bray, get a consistency across uh, each country. And I think for me, Casho, you meant the, one, the biggest one for me has just been the breakdown and attack, just that player that's been penalised for sealing off in a, in an effect. But 
Uh, it's that situation where there's no threat on the ball at all from the opposition. And, you know, you're seeing penalize, uh, players being penalised that are coming into the breakdown and, and are low over the ball and their hands might be on the ground, but they're the ones getting penalised. And unless there's a threat to the ball, I just don't see the need for a penalty in that situation. Yeah, you can definitely tell, uh, Stilesy, as you mentioned before, great nervousness when the opposition has the ball anywhere within kicking range. It, it's something we just don't want to see in the game. Mind you, when the cheaters are playing, they can score from anywhere. Yeah, no, they love it. The cheaters. That that game against the uh, against the rebels was incredible, wasn't it? You know, uh, the way Great they try against the Crusaders. Yeah, and and they just love love throwing the ball around. Um, they sort of play. We ran into the Sharks coaches uh, in a hotel in in uh, in Sydney when they'd flown in from uh, from Africa, and they were saying the cheaters they really get excited when they play the the local derbies in South Africa. They really get up for those ones. And but when they go into some of the the Australasian games, there's they're a bit more relaxed and and uh, they have this tendency. To just to just to throw the ball, let it sing from side to side, and defence is something that you know they don't get too excited about, and but they're prepared to have a bit of fun with the ball, and that's, and that's coming out in their their rugby at the moment. Yeah, but clearly they've practiced it because you just can't get that sort of. Um, oh no, it's not. It's not a game of sevens. They've got a clear yeah. structure yeah. with uh, how they 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 break up from set piece, and and um, they've got personnel in place on the extremities of the field and, and through the middle that they, they, they have the ability to, to get good width with their play. And, and, and when they're on, boy, boy it's exciting. Gentlemen, um, let's start with you, Casho. Are the Brumbies the real deal? I've got to admit, this has been an extraordinary start of the season. For a side I didn't think had the personnel, they lost a couple of big names, mighty big names over the season, um, just gone by, Rocky Elsom, uh, uh, Adam Ashley Cooper, uh, Matt Gitto, and yet here they are, top of the Australian Conference. And I've got to say, Jake White uh, so far doing the job. What do you think, Cashcow first, then you, Nick? Well, uh, Brumby's certainly over, overachieving at this stage. I think, uh, uh, and Stolze will agree with this, that uh, we're probably not going to get an accurate uh, beat on the competition till probably about week eight, nine, maybe even uh, sort of week ten about where, where teams uh, where teams sit. You know, like uh, some of them would have come through an injury crisis like like the Waratahs and the Reds. But uh, listen, the Brumbies certainly been uh, been overachieving and that, that says something about the coaching down there. He obviously uh, has had plenty of time with the uh, with, with, with the team to actually get get together and, and come up with some sort of structure that uh, that works so well. But uh, listen, I've just written down what's uh, four names here. Dan Palmer playing so well. Benny Moen leading the side really well. Michael Hooper had an absolute blinder of a game last week uh, um, against the Highlanders and uh, even somebody like uh, Andrew Smith out, uh, out, at, uh, out at 13 who previously in past seasons hasn't had that much of an impact but he's just got himself fit and he's being used properly by uh, by the Brumbies. So listen, thumbs up. Uh, I think they are a long way towards being the real deal. Yeah, Casho, definitely. Mate. I think uh, well, the biggest thing... For them, was it was that first game they played against us. They they won that, um, and, and winning. I think you get your winning start in this competition is massive. You, you, you get momentum, and especially for for a side like that that's been written off, um, you get momentum, you get belief, and, and that then flows through through the next few weeks and they kept on backing that up with good performances um, and they've started very well I think you know they're a bit similar to the Hurricanes Hurricanes made the decision to, to get rid of you know some pretty big names in, in uh, Weepu uh, Nonu Andrew Hoare, and they'd probably been written off as well, but they've uh, they've started the season and probably uh, you know exceeded expectations. All right, Nick, uh, before you go, I've just got to mention our sponsor. We're happy to say that Strike, and you can get them strike.com.au. I can see on the screen there right now. And uh, fantastic uh, to see Chris Chris Ryan get involved with Rugger Matrix and sponsoring the show because the bandwidth costs go through the roof with uh, Cash Cow, and you can tell because he keeps <laughs> dropping out all the time, gentlemen. <laughs> 
And uh, I've got to say, this is a great uh, effort by um, our friends in Queensland. But you can buy the uh, devices all over Australia. And that's strike.com.au. Now, if you go to the website, you will get 10% off if you mention Rugger Matrix. Rugger Matrix in the checkout, courtesy of strike.com.au. They sell all sorts of car phone cradles, uh, sat-nav devices, reversing cameras, if you've got a motorbike, Bluetooth connection to your helmet. That is absolutely vital, gentlemen. I've just sold the motorbike. I might have to buy it back just so I can use the gear from Strike. So thanks very much to Strike, strike strike.com.au. And Brom, they're good people, the people at Strike, aren't they? And listen, having a Bluetooth connection for your helmet, I reckon that sounds absolutely fantastic. Well, I'm going to be all over it. I'll get around on a little scooter over in here in Perth, so uh, that'll sort me right oh, out. And, uh, you know, Cash, I had a moped but sold it. <laughs> it I got the 50cc I, uh, scooter. I, I I'm all good. Life after being uh, riding into town about twice, so uh, got rid of it. <laughs> well, if you get a moped, go to strike.com.au. Proud sponsor of not only Rugger Matrix International but Rugger Matrix America. And gentlemen, I'm about to announce for the first time we are introducing a all-female show. It's not this one. <laughs> all-female show. Of you hosting Ru- it, are you, Bronco? <laughs> I will be co-hosting the first one. Uh, all-female show of Rugger Matrix coming up to be hosted by a good friend of ours, Alicia Wells, and uh, more to be uh, said about that in the coming week or so. So stay tuned on Twitter, Facebook, Facebook. Facebook, and uh, and of course our email service. So that is coming uh, very very soon. So Casho, I think I might even get you on the first show so you can get slapped around a bit. I look forward to it and uh, listen. All the best for uh, for Wellesley and the and the debut. All right, time to go to Europe in a moment. There it is, strike.com.au. Back to Nick Styles over in Perth, Stylesy. Congratulations on the start of the year because I think um, you know it was a tough slog. You lost a super playmaker, but you got a good leader there in, of course, David Pocock and a great win against the Waratahs. That was just tremendous stuff. But let's see if you can put it together together against the Reds, the once yeah, mi- the once mighty Reds. <laughs> Mate, yeah, no, we've played them. Uh, I think the last three times we've played them, we've been very disappointed not to come away with the win. So hopefully, uh, fourth time lucky as a, as a coach, and we'll, we'll get a win against my old side. All right, Nick, thanks, mate. Nick Styles. Thanks, guys. Nick Styles joining us from the Western Force and uh, great coach in the making there, Casho. Uh, but it's all before him and his side against the Reds this weekend. They'll be smarting his old team. Yeah, certainly. Uh, Reds, that uh, that walloping they got last week against the Bulls and uh, the Force probably not travelling all that uh, schmickly anyway. So... Uh, it's uh, it's going to be a knock them down, drag them out sort of battle at uh, NIB Stadium. Yes, certainly, Casho. So it's time to welcome in our next guest as we go to the Brady Bunch panel. And on the top screen, we can see Morgan Turanui looking a picture. It's uh, late-ish evening in Paris. He's about to go to bed, smash a quick feed. Morgan, uh, thanks for joining us on the panel. It's good to see your noggin. Well, it's good to be back with you guys. You said you'd ring me next week last time we spoke, and it's been a while, so I obviously didn't go to the last time. I'm trying to prove for you, Juro. Sorry we're, about that. We're trying to do it on French time, mate. You know, we'll call you next week, maybe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, Morgan, uh, thanks for joining us, mate. Things going well for you guys, particularly last week. Nice win against Argen, but that came at a cost as you head into uh, the business end of the season, and you've got a big Amlin Cup match coming up as well, Morgan. Yeah, that's right. We've got uh, about six games left in the Premiership and obviously, as we spoke about before, you need to be in the top six to qualify for the finals and also, if you make the top six of our competition, you qualify for Heineken Cup next year. So, uh, it's been a big push for us to try and make sure we're in the six. We're sitting equal fifth at the moment after beating Argen and and it was a big win for us because they were pretty much next to us on the table. So, uh, took the bonus point. We scored uh, seven tries. So, our new backs coach, uh, Chris Whitaker, was pretty happy. Um, and then we've got a big game this week against Toulouse at Stade de France, which will be in front of about 70,000. And then next week, as you mentioned, the Amelon Cup quarterfinal, which we play at home against uh, Exeter. 
And Morgs, uh, I, I believe there's a there's a young bloke coming on board, uh, maybe probably already there by the name of George Smith. Pretty handy acquisition at this time of the year. Must give you a lot of uh, momentum. Yeah, he's a good young player. Actually, he's out. He's, he's probably needs a bit of work. Actually, he's not in the best <laughs> condition when he arrived. Uh, I think he's been celebrating. They won a couple of competitions uh, the, the previous two weeks in Japan. So. Uh, I actually picked George up from the airport on Wednesday and he played for us on Saturday. So it was a pretty fair effort and, and it obviously showed that he's still as, as, still as tough and hardy as he always has been. Uh, I mentioned just briefly there, Morgan, the uh, loss of uh, David Atu uh, for a period of time there, mate. Um, and uh, it comes at an awkward time for you guys, losing an international like that. Yeah, it does. David was, uh, he played, the, he started the last game of the Six Nations for France and he's been in really good form for us this year and, and he was one of the big reasons on the weekend why our scrum was such a big weapon against Argen. So that is a big loss. Uh, I think the thing with us is that we can usually cover one or two injuries. It's, it's big things like Six Nations where we lose five or six players or the World Cups and things which we hurt. We've got 22 internationals in our squad so you can usually sort of cover one or two injuries. And obviously in the front row, they're always a little bit more important. Morgs, uh, the, uh, you mentioned the game against Toulouse sort of coming up. Uh, obviously a big game in Paris uh, always, but uh, Toulouse travelling uh, sort of quite well. But um, you, you, you guys coming together at this, this time of the year? Yeah, we've got a bit of momentum at the moment after the weekend's win, a lot of confidence from that. The weather's getting a bit better and, and we're one of the teams that throw the ball around and probably us and Toulouse are the ones that move the ball around the most. So with the, with the good weather, hopefully that will help us a bit more. Toulouse, they're, they're, they're going well. They're just travelling along. They actually got beaten by Bordeaux, who are a team that came up from Pro D2 last year uh, in Bordeaux last week. So they'll be smarting from that. And they have the quarterfinals of the Heineken Cup. Next week they play Edinburgh. So they've got to prepare for that. They've given guys like Thierry Dussetois and a couple of other French players last week off. So they'll be at full strength this week. And I think they'll probably play close to their top 15 with an eye of going into the next week's game with a bit of momentum. So it will be a big match. I'd say they'll be without Luke McAllister, who's been absolutely outstanding this year. He's been one of the players of the tournament, especially during the World Cup. He was really dominant for them when they were missing so many of their players. And he, uh, he got a, a calf strain again, early on against Bordeaux last week, and I think he'll miss out. But apart from that, they'll be very close to full strength. Morgan, um, you mentioned just off the cuff there, Chris Whitaker moving from basically defence to attack. Now, what's the whole move? Uh, what's the reasoning behind the whole move there? I'm not sure. You never know what Michael Cech is thinking, but they just flipped. We had a, a French uh, coach called Christophe Lesouk who played for the club and he, he played for France and he's an old halfback himself and he was doing some of the attack work and Wits was doing defence and so almost just after halfway through the season they flipped roles and um, yeah, I suppose it's a different voice, maybe a different accent, a different language to, to help things. And uh, we really wanted to pick up two things. We, we weren't happy with our defence the way it was going, but we also weren't happy with the amount of conversions we we're having with, with scoring tries from line breaks and things like that. So uh, they've just tried something different. I'd say it's just to change it up, give both coaches a bit of experience on the other side of the fence. Have, you know, when you look at Wits having looked at defence and having coached for defence for so long, he obviously spent a lot of time working on how attacks were trying to split up defences and then he flipped roles and now he, he can use a lot of that information to help us. Morgs, on, uh, on, on a national front, what's the uh, the feeling in France about uh, about how they how they prefer, performed under new coach uh, Philippe Saint-André? Yeah, they were very disappointed that their campaign sort of petered out and, and I think everyone by these days knows the the mentality in France is that you really can't lose at home. It's all about your home games. If you pick up the away games, you know, everyone talks about grand slams and triple crowns here, but a minimum pass mark, I think, for the French teams will always be beat Scotland, beat Italy and win your home games. And this year they, they gave Ireland a draw at home and they actually lost to England at home. And, and those are the ones that will really sting. Philip Saint-André's got a bit of time with them. Obviously, he's inherited a team after the World Cup and he's still changing things around. Uh, but they were pretty disappointed in the results. But I think there's a belief that Saint Andre can can you know make their team evolve over time. And he brought a few other guys back that the previous coach Mark Levermont didn't use. Uh, he, he brought a couple of our players back. You already mentioned David Atub. He hadn't played for a long time. Julian Dupuy, our halfback, and he's our captain when Sergio Parisse is away on Italy duty. 
he was recalled for the last couple of games. So he brought Lionel Boxes, who's the Toulouse 5-8 this year. He brought him back in. So he's changed a bit of cattle around. He's still getting them settled. But I think uh, they'll be marked a little bit harder. They go on a tour of Argentina and they'll be marked a bit harder there because they're not far away, Argentina. And Argentina are obviously preparing for their first four nations. So that will be a good test to see which way the French team will be going. Morgan, just back on the matters of Heineken Cup, and we're talking off air, and interesting call, um, just looking at the result from uh, the suspension that's been handed out for an alleged biting incident, Dylan Hartley, in the Six Nations match against uh, Ireland. It uh, has sparked a bit of intrigue, a bit of interest, uh, because uh, it's never a good thing to ha- have associated with a player, and uh, I guess the evidence is the one thing that's come into question. Yeah, that's the thing that I find interesting. I've seen he's, you know, it's only just came out here, obviously, that he's got an eight-week ban. And for something as serious as it is, I just find it... I always think that with those, it's either got to be clear-cut informa- information and proof where he should get a very, very long time, or if it's, if it's you know, not clear-cut proof, they really can't say whether he, you know, did the bite or whatever, he probably should get off. The eight-week ban seems like they sort of didn't make a real decision, so... I'm not sure whether they will appeal. I wouldn't be surprised if they did. Yeah, it's interesting, Morgs. We we had a, a similar sort of situation here where uh, Adam Burns was uh, was suspended for ten weeks, uh, appealed, and it was reduced to uh, zero. So it says something about uh, I don't know. Maybe it says something about the uh, the legal system or or just uh, the way they, they they go about things uh, from time to time. But it's uh, yeah, but probably shouldn't happen that way. Yeah, I think it just shows that the more serious the matter, I think the more clear-cut the, the proof has to be. And, you know, when you have so many videos now, it shows too that the bottom of rugby is still a very hidden place on a rugby field. And things like eye gouging, biting, those sorts of things, if you're not 100% sure about what happened, and also it's very hard to see the difference between deliberate and non-deliberate and intent and things like that. I know Satan pretty well. I'm sure he wouldn't have done anything at all like that. And, uh, you know, but if, if you have clear-cut proof on video, then he goes for a very long time. And obviously it was, it was, uh, it was thrown out on appeal. They didn't have enough video evidence. And, and I, I just – it's probably the similar thing here. Ten weeks, is, it was pretty harsh for gouging. Biting's probably that step further again. And for him to get eight weeks, it, it's almost like, well, we think you did it, but we're not sure. We'll give you eight weeks and hopefully everyone will be happy. If he decides to appeal, then, then it will be interesting to see what happens. Yes, Morgan. It's uh, coming at an interesting end of the season, though. Now, what about... Um, we talked about the wash-up from uh, the French point of view, but what do you think about the rest of the teams in the Six Nations? And uh, Ireland came to Paris, had a draw, and, you know, it's a long time between drinks there in terms of victories. And, of course, they had that uh, farcical freeze-out. But what was your assessment of Les Kiss's Irish team uh, when they travelled to Paris? Yeah, to be honest, I, I expected a little bit more of Ireland. They played well in Paris. Um, yeah, I thought the Wales game was the the big problem for them. Coming early on as well, it was a big game. And and, and when you, even you look at the three big teams, I thought would be Ireland, Wales, and England. And um, you know, you think when you think back, England were very unlucky uh, when they got beaten by Wales. And that was the whole competition. That was the Grand Slam. That was everything in those final minutes. It just shows how tight it is here. I think, uh, and also how rare and how special those Grand Slams are. There's been a few over the sort of past 15 years, but the amount of celebration, I never realised how important the Six Nations was until coming here to the Northern Hemisphere. It's uh, it's something that all the nations sort of stop for. Everyone supports their clubs, everyone supports the soccer competitions and that, but everyone's very much aware of the Six Nations. It's, it is the big tournament. And it also puts into place those November Test Series that come over when, when we come over from the South. They're just experimental for them. The, 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 the paying public and the supporters, yeah, they're happy to win. It's always good to, to play against big teams like Australia and New Zealand. But it's all about the Six Nations here. And, and, and you know, it's, it's, it's exactly what our Tri-Nations is. You can do whatever it is. But if you, if you go well in that tournament, that sets up your whole season. And then you look at the November Test Series and the June Test Series as bonuses. And uh, we, we talk about the grading of Test Matches. Six Nations and, and the, the old Tri-Nations together, they're really the top ones. And, and unfortunately, sometimes now those those June and November tours are, are more experimental than everything with an eye on the, the next World Cup or the next Lions tour or things like that. Yeah, because Australia plays Wales quite often and uh, 
Australia generally do well against the Welsh at uh, Millennium Stadium, but you can tell there's something else in the planning there. Are Wales a real deal, in your opinion? Do you think, uh, you know, they did a pretty good job of the World Cup, Morgan, and uh, they've swept the Six Nations with a slam, you know, a couple of years out from the next World Cup. Looking pretty sharp, but can they maintain it over that period of time? Yeah, I'm not sure really now about looking all the way to the World Cup. Four years is a long time, and, and and many things can change in the game. But they are they are the team on the way up. They've got a young team, a young captain. They've got some great athletes, and I like the way they play the game. The way they the way they challenge the the defence at every time. They've got great athletes that challenge individual one on one contests in attack and defence. They dominate the space past the ball and attack. They've got a Reese Priestland who I rate very highly as a ten. Um, you know, he's a, he's a heart. He's a, he t- t- tackles with his heart. He you know he does that sort of thing, ticks that box. But he's also learning all the time. The, the one thing he he's probably missing at the moment to be a complete ten is his goal kicking. And he's got plenty of time to work on that because he can catch pass. He's got great vision. I know David Lyons spent a lot of time with him at Finethley when they played together, and he rates him pretty highly. And if anyone knows David Lyons, he thinks he's a five eight anyway. So if he rates you, you're a pretty good player. <laughs> And, and Morgs, increasingly, uh, the Welsh are uh, being lured across to uh, uh, the top 14 by, by the look of things. Uh, a, week, a week certainly doesn't pass without, uh, without one of the internationals at least being uh, sniffed around uh, in, uh, in Wales. Yeah, I think, I think it's a twofold thing. Firstly, a lot of the home unions are, are realising that in many ways it's, it's just a way of, of avoiding their own salary cap. So you look at Scotland rugby financially not really high flying they've or the, the, what their, their players are saying to us sort of behind closed doors is that they're saying well look if you can go and play overseas go and do it because we get you back for the test series because you have to come back it's irb law that they come back and we don't have to pay you year in year out the french clubs take them pay their salary and the scottish players just come back for the test test matches and the same sort of things happened to mike phillips i think a lot of people wondered whether he would be called back by warren gatlin to play for wales he went to Bayonne. Bayonne are very close to being relegated to Pro D2. And he's been really good for them this year, to be honest. But And it's came out this week in the press that even if they go down to second division French rugby, he will most likely stay with them. And then it will be doubly interesting to see. You may have a British Lions player, you know, one of the best halfbacks in the world, playing second division rugby in France. And that's just the way it is. And the other thing is that... Uh, all good player agents know that if you throw something out about your player going to France, it bumps his price up everywhere else. There's been countless Irish players, countless Welsh players who have come out and said, oh, I'm thinking about the lifestyle and the quality of rugby in France and re-signed with their home union. So there's there's both those things to think about at all times. Morgs, we were talking off air and you mentioned that um, you took the game out of town the other day. Obviously very different to the game we've got coming up. 80,000 at Stade de France. But... Since Michael Chick has taken over and uh, you got through those turbulent times uh, with ownership and funding, have you started to notice a change in how things are being run and how things have been perceived publicly about your supporters, etc. at uh, Stade Francais? Because it is one of the iconic brands of any sport in Europe. Yeah, it's a funny thing. You know what it's like when you're one of those brands. When even with us, we wear a pink jersey. We're from Paris, so you go to anywhere else, everyone else, you know, it's the big city. So it's always the the provinces versus the big city. So every team wants to knock you off every time you play. Even with the racing metro, I think I explained before that we are the real Parisian team. We are the team within Paris, and they're the team just outside Paris in sort of another department. Little things like that make a difference in France. You go to Toulouse, you go to Bordeaux, you go to Biarritz. They want to beat the team from Paris, from the big city. So we have that to contend with. And also we've had you know, a, a, a long history, but obviously a, a history as well with real highs and real lows. We were, you know, the start of Francais were, were, and racing were the two first teams to play rugby in France. And at the start, the whole championship of French rugby was just two teams and they played each other every year for the finals. And then at the turn of the century, Bordeaux came in and won a few games. And then Stade Francais didn't do much. They went all the way down to the third tier of rugby. And then Max Gazzini came in and, and he brought them up. And over 15 years, they won five premierships. And, you know, he brought the calendar in of the gods of the start and he brought the pink jerseys in. And then around the turn of the century, you know, it was one, of, as you said, an iconic brand in sport and, and one of the most famous jerseys in the world of rugby. 
and they won a, a couple of premierships in the early 2000s. They went deep into Heineken Cups but never won one. And then over the last three or four years, it's sort of gone downhill. So uh, big, originally, yeah. It was, yeah, sorry. Go ahead, go ahead, Wolves. Sorry. No, originally, you know, it was Toulouse and Stade Francais and Claremont and Biritz, and that was about it. And then we've fallen away. Biritz have fallen away this year, and Toulouse and Claremont, they're the two big teams at the moment. And we're, what we're attempting to do is claw our way back to be one of those big teams, and it is slow going. You know, we're even little things like we, we haven't lost a game this year at home, but we've won one game away all year. And things like going away from home and winning, you know, those tough mentally strong teams, those teams with the habit of winning with those sorts of players. We're just not doing that yet, and that's something we still need to learn. So I would say, yes, we are slowly clawing our way back, but I must admit it's going a little bit slower, one, than I'd hoped, and two, than I expected. Just looking over here on the iPad and uh, to look at your table, because the next question is going to be about how do you manage the closing of the season, because this is the real trick now for Michael Checker. Uh, but before I do that, I've... Got a tweet on the screen from Chibber Will Chibber Hanson. Chibber Hanson from the Queensland Red says, when he knew that we were going to talk to you today, he said, "Tell Morgs I said g'day." One of the greats. So your respect still carries on. <laughs> and I actually seen a bit of the footy. He's doing really well, Chibber. I remember him telling stories of his days there with Eddie Jones, terrorising him while he was trying to practice <laughs> his line-out throws. And oh, I think he's been outstanding. One of the, like the last 18 months, one of the real finds of Australian rugby. I, I just think around the park, he's been great. I remember even seeing him down with the Melbourne team during the uh, the ill-fated national championship playing down there. And uh, I, I think he's been one of their best so far this year. Yeah, ill-fated. I still think it was a pretty good idea at the time, Morgs. It just cost a bit of money. Yeah, as far as I think it was just Melbourne that made it cost a bit of money. It wasn't, yeah, a, wasn't the mighty Sydney fleet that cost us no, anything, that's for no, sure. No, exactly, exactly. So if I just go back to the question I was alluding to before, um, you've you've got a battle in the to stay in the top six to make sure you go through in this the final series here in the top 14 and also a battle to make sure you win the Amlin Cup. So managing your squads in those two competitions is something that a lot of places don't have to worry about, and I'm talking about the Southern Hemisphere. So that's a big challenge for your coaching staff, but I guess all the players are, have to buy into the whole um, planning and, and who plays and who doesn't, that sort of thing. Yeah, that's. I would say that is the biggest challenge for any coach in our competition. Uh, and even, you know, you look at the Irish teams, you know, they're centrally contracted by the Irish Rugby Union. They play the, the Magnus League, which is the Celtic League or whatever, and they play Heineken Cup, and it is all about Heineken Cup. So a lot of them will have finished six nations and gone straight to holidays. And we had, uh, you know, our captain, Sergio Parise, is the Italian captain. There was a week in between the six nations in the middle of the tournament. He was playing 80 minutes in every game, obviously, for his country. He came back and played for us. One, he was obliged to because he's contracted by our club. And they pay him a fair bit of money to play for us and they expect him to be available. And then also you look at our French players. Even them, they came back. A couple of them carrying little niggles, haven't played, but Pascal Papo and David Atub, they'd played in Wales the week before. They came straight back and they played on the weekend for us. Pascal played nearly 80 minutes. Obviously, they played exceptionally well as they do, but at the moment now, we have to decide, we may have to decide which competition we want to target or we may have to decide that we're going to have to target both. Um, so that's a big decision for Michael. And then, as you said, You've got to manage player loads, both at training and games. A lot of our players will, will have a really light start to the week. And what that will do is obviously disrupt your preparation. Um, and then if they play on the weekend, there might be some new things they don't know. There's all those sorts of things. you know. And, and this time of year, you get injuries. Frankie Farnefo, the old Brumbies winger, he's already out for the season. So at the moment, we've got pretty much two fit wingers. So you know, if we get another injury on the wing you might see a slow old center on the wing and that's something that no one wants to see so those sorts of things and the way he manages his squad with, with Michael at the moment is huge and, and Toulouse are the same Toulouse and Claremont even even though they you know they have a much deeper squad I would say than we do in, in terms of, of their, their top quality player talent depth yeah, they've got to do Heineken Cup quarterfinals and semifinals which they really want to win and obviously the top 14. Uh, at the moment, teams like Toulouse and Claremont, they would hold them in equally high esteem, the, the, the top 14 in the Heineken Cup, whereas five years ago, every team would have said the top 14. 
Yeah, Morgs, it's uh, it's interesting, isn't it? Uh, we probably really haven't got our heads around it down here in uh, in the uh, in the Super Rugby sort of competition. Is it? Uh, do you think it's probably going to take some some time? You know, the squad rotation sort of <coughs> feel to uh, to be embedded here, particularly with the people that uh, come and watch the games. Yeah, I think uh, obviously just read a bit of what's happening and obviously try and keep up with what's happening there. And always very interested in Super Rugby. I think obviously with the the extension of the season with the Super 15. Uh, and I, some of the things that coaches have been saying, I, I like the way that, obviously, Link talks about it. One, he's been exposed to it at Stade Francais itself. Uh, he talks about it. He's he's aware of it. He knows what players he can and can't do without. He will know that, you know, that, that, that a huge part of his team's performance will rely on a guy like Will Genia, and he will be very hesitant to rest a guy like that. But I wouldn't be surprised if you got a phone call from Robbie Deans at some stage saying, this is what we've got coming out, what can you do? I know also to make things even more complicated, there's the Scotland midweek test and things like that coming up in the middle of seasons. So what you're seeing now in the Southern Hemisphere is coaches are now starting to have to deal with exactly that, the loading of players, players playing in different competitions, um, even players having two different coaches wanting two different things, which is a little bit more complicated than us. With uh, with Start Francais, we, the, the players know the bulk of their money they're signed to Start Francais. That's their club contract. That's the thing that they have to be loyal to. Uh, it's going to be hard for the, the ARU, where all the money originally comes for, not to say to a state coach, look, I'd like this guy to have a bit of a rest. So it'd be interesting to see where that conflict goes and and also which, which coaches are brave enough probably to give some of their key players a rest uh, to try and sow a bit of a bit of relaxation and recovery and hopefully reap it later on as they go deep into the finals. All right, Morgan, um, we've uh, chewed up enough of your time tonight. I know you need to get to bed and got a packed house there on the edge of France. I have entered Paris, I'd say edge of France. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, That's all right. I always knew you were good at geography. <laughs> no, that was one of ours, three unit geography, <laughs> end of, edge of Paris. But um, uh, And do you have Chris Whitaker over often? He uh, is known as the hobo. And uh, what's the um, what's the scenario like there between the homes? No, I can't have him over because we have to get the house fumigated afterwards, and we've got the kids. The kids will get sick, and you know, he'll pass something onto them, so we can't. Now they're 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 five ten minutes away, and um, yeah, we're pretty lucky to have them so close because you know he him and Al are godparents to our youngest Kingsley, and, and I'm Poppy, his youngest godfather. So. Mm-hmm. We see enough of each other at training, but we do catch up to get all the kids together every now and again, have a have a quiet rosé when the weather's good. Uh, how do you guys go with switching off then? Um, because you're the player, he's a coach, good mates for a long time. How does that work? Well, I think it's uh, with him and I, actually, it's quite good because he knows that he can yell at me if he needs to and I'll... I'll take it as personally as I need to. And, and I think we we actually have a relationship where it could be right. I can see how it would be very awkward or it can be awkward. Um, and it just it just shows how hard it would be for a player to stop and immediately start coaching some of the players he played with. And um, I think we're quite lucky that we have a relationship where, where immediately coming in, the amount of respect that I have for him meant that immediately I would listen to anything he said. And obviously you know him quite well, the... The, the, his manner around people, it, it all it immediately makes you trust judgment, trust uh, the words coming out of his mouth. You know that whatever he's saying is is for your benefit. So I'm quite lucky in one, you know, his attitude to the game and coaching and two, our relationship, uh, we can easily compartmentalise it. He's just so goddamn nice. No, I hate him. <laughs> quite uncle. You know, I've said it before, I hate him. Seriously. Oh. He's just so annoying. <laughs> Chris anyway. Whitaker doing a job as attack coach for Stade Francais Morgan Turinui, thanks for joining us a uh, couple of days away f- from some pretty important games in two competitions so we appreciate your time tonight so, uh, give our best to uh, George Smith too. that's great news to see him over there he could probably still cut it and test footy so oh, mate. Uh, oh, he, he, came he came off the bench on the weekend and he was outstanding straight away uh, he came over here and, and some of the boys are telling us he broke a, a record in the Japanese competition for most turnovers in the season. They won the they won the comp and they won the big national final afterwards. You know, he, he could go back and pull on a gold jersey tomorrow. Simple as that. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Morgan. But you have to take a cut probably yeah. to do it. <laughs> yes, do it for a couple of bucks. All right, Morgan Turinui, thanks for joining us tonight, mate. Good to speak to you. 
And I think Adam Fry's trying to track you down since last week when we spoke to him. It's about time. I think he owes me money still. You haven't seen him yet running around, have you? No, I haven't. Yeah, it's oh, yeah, a I'll unique sight. Yeah. How is he getting around? Those old calves getting around or not? <laughs> well, the Cheetahs uh, played a pretty high, intense uh, speed game against them two weeks ago. And he said he was sucking them in after 10 minutes more than he's ever done. It was an unbelievable game. Actually, the Cheetahs really are coming to play this year, Morgs, and uh, they've got some pace to burn. They've always had it, but they chose when to use it, uh, rarely, but they're using it uh, quite often now, and the comp's pretty tight, except for the Bulls game, as we spoke about earlier. These games are only a couple of points in it. Yeah, I think it's pretty obvious that Adam spends more time writing his articles than training. That's probably why he was sucking it in. It's not that hard. (laughs) His brain. All right, Morgan, thank you. All right, see you, boys. There he is, Morgan Turanui. And uh, Mark Cashman, thanks for doing the hard yards and getting the show together. Once again, Bronk, an absolute pleasure, though. Listen, I just wanted to say to Morgan, so, geez, you Ramwick blokes are tight. You know, there's, uh, there's Chris Whittaker, there's, uh, there's your coach, there's Stud Francais, Adam Fry still owes your money, so uh, <laughs> nothing changes. Yeah, don't worry. I'll get it off him at some stage. I actually <laughs> caught up with him in Paris. He, he's, he, uh, he was looking all right then. He was had a pretty good tan, so hopefully he's kept it down in Melbourne. <laughs> all right. Good luck with getting that cash. All right. Uh, thanks, Morgan. Been a pleasure talking to you, and thanks to you, Mark Cashman. Get those northern suburbs boys together. All right. Uh, that is it uh, for Rugger Matrix International. Episode 145 back on video today. And uh, we'll be back on video each week. Of course, you can always get the audio. In fact, the audio stream will go out before the video. So you'll get the scoop. And we'll have more news on the women's show. Uh, We'll have a proper name for it uh, down the track. So uh, we'll let you know how that goes as well. And thanks to our sponsor, strike.com.au. Okay, so that is it, the program today. We'll catch you next week. Good luck to our guests who are on the show tonight as they play in their respective matches. Enjoy your weekend, enjoy your rugby, we'll speak to you next week.